Welcome, everybody, to Great Lakes Backcountry, the podcast. I am Michael, and thanks for being with us today. We are in the middle of turkey season here around the Great Lakes, and so today's guest is Jason Reams. Jason is an old friend of mine. We go way back. He is an avid bow hunter and has hunted all over the Great Lakes and the Midwest. So we're going to talk to him about a little turkey hunting, some deer hunting tips, tricks, tactics. We'll get into all of that here shortly. But before we do, a couple announcements. We are hosting on May 22nd, Shaping Up the Shoreline. We are going to be picking up trash along the Great Lakes. And if you would like to participate, no matter where you live, please email us at greatlakesbackcountry at gmail.com. Again, greatlakesbackcountry at gmail.com. We're going to be contributing our numbers to Great Lakes Great Responsibility, helping them reach their goal of 1 million pieces of trash being picked up around the Great Lakes. So we're excited about that. Our sponsors for our podcast are also sponsoring that event, so we thank them. Those sponsors are West Shore Bank, McGee Insurance Group, Renegade Products USA, and Ludington Yacht Sales. We could not do this podcast or any of the events that we have planned coming up without them, so a big thanks to our sponsors. But with that, let's dive into this week's episode with Jason Reams. Welcome, Jason. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Again, we have Jason Reams with us, an old-time friend. We go way back. You were my sponsor at St. Anthony's for church confirmation way back in the That's day. That's right. Jason, yeah. Jason is a, uh, for a friend of mine from way back, former athlete, graduated high school, went to... Uh, Central Michigan University and played baseball after a four-year career there. Caught the outdoor bug and a bow hunting enthusiast, I think is safe to say. And now you not only hunt Ionia County, uh, but you travel all over the place to deer hunt. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I get out as much as I can, you know. Yeah. Missouri, Iowa, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, to name a few. Looking yeah. to get to Kansas, hopefully. Right. So we wanted to have you on, Jason, because, you know, we're in the midst of turkey season here on the Great Lakes. Um, I know you do a lot of whitetail deer hunting, but you also do a lot of turkey hunting. Um, so before we get into the uh, deer hunting aspect, let's talk a little bit, little bit about turkey hunting here on the Great Lakes. Um, you, you're pretty much out there every year turkey hunting, correct? Yeah. I mean, you know, I got, uh, I got into it back when, you know, turkey hunting came to Michigan, uh, and became real popular. And back in the late nineties is when I picked it up and I was adamant about, you know, turkey hunting with a bow and arrow and, and was successful with it. Um, you know, I think it's, it's gotten a little more difficult since then. Um, the birds are a little more educated, a lot more guys hunting them. Um, so 
you know, I always used to laugh. You could take a rusty hinge out and make it squawk and get a turkey to come to your tent, you know, 25 years ago. But now it's it's a little more difficult. A lot more hens out there too now. So um, it, yeah. it just seems to be a little tougher to have the success of, you know, going out one and done kind of deal is, you know, you got to work a little harder today. Right. I sat this morning turkey hunting and, you know, I heard, uh, you know, a lot of noise around me, but I could never get one to come in. And there's that fine line. Are you calling them too much, too little? What's your take on that as far as, you know, calling them in? Well, I think, I think every bird, you know, is kind of different. I don't think there's one set way, you know, to call a turkey. I think if you're getting good response and the bird's moving closer, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. If, if they all of a sudden quiet down, shut up and, you know, you can't really get a read on what they're doing, then, you know, if switch it up, if that doesn't work, then just hold off for, you know, 10, 15 minutes and then get after them again. But, you know, I've always had um, success with, you know, putting birds to bed, knowing where they're roosted and then, you know, working from there, not getting too close, but getting as close as I can, you know, comfortably without spooking them off the roost. And, and then, you know, having an idea where they're flying down and uh, most importantly, you know, where are they headed to? You know, what are they going to be doing when they get off the roost? You know, right. That's that. That's a great point because we all talk about trail cams for deer, mm-hmm. but we don't talk a lot about trail cams for turkey hunting. You know, right. so I I admit, like I'm a culprit that I don't I don't do a lot of scouting before I go turkey hunting. So where right. I was today, I, I really couldn't tell you how close I was to where they're, you know, sleeping at night or what have you. So do you find that in your success, you're doing a lot of scouting beforehand? Uh, the big thing is just, you know, watching birds the night before. If you're going to go hunt in the morning, you know, get out to a field where, you know, birds feed in the evening and then just watch where they go. Um, You don't have to know the exact tree that they're in, but, you know, you just see where they go and, and, uh, you know, when they fly up, they're not quiet. Same with flying down. They just, you will know the general area where they're at and, you know, set up accordingly. Yeah. Now, are you a ground blind guy or a sitting on the ground next to a tree type of guy? Well, I just shot my first turkey with a shotgun last year um everything prior to that's been with a bow and so i've been in a tent exclusively um hunting them with a bow and now i pretty much am comfortable in a tent you can get away with a lot more um i take my wife and my daughters out uh so their movement is not real conducive with the sharp eyes of a turkey um so I tend to stay in the tent, but you know, when I tried a few new spots last year with my oldest daughter, uh, we went and sat on the ground and it's, it's a different look. It's, it's fun. Um, we didn't have any birds even respond to anything. So, you know, it was just basically sitting out there visiting and enjoying nature and right. getting up and walking home. Yeah. 
what do you see has changed in the last, let's say, 10 years of, as far as turkey hunting in the Great Lakes? What's the biggest difference? More hunters. More hunters. There's, there's way more guys doing it. Yeah. And there's, like I said, way more hens. I mean, they are, I don't know. I don't want to sound critical of the, you know, any of the rules or regulations as far as turkey hunting, because I don't make the rules. I, I just tend to follow them, but, you know, I don't feel like there are enough turkeys being shot or harvested on an annual basis to really, you know, there's a lot of hands out there right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Are you going to get out this season? Yeah. I think uh, next weekend we're, we're off as far as our travel basketball for the weekend. So try to get out. And if not, I, I won't be hunting myself. I don't have a tag right now. So um, my season doesn't open for a couple more weeks, but um, find somebody to take. Somebody's got a tag that wants to go kill one. Yeah. So you'll be the guide. Yeah. It'd be fun. So I said earlier when we started that you travel all over whitetail deer hunting. Um, and you and I had an interesting conversation about the difference in deer from the Great Lakes region to Iowa, Missouri. Um, can you talk a little, tell our listeners a little bit about what we were discussing and kind of the difference in deer and you know, you were talking about rattling and things of that nature, which made a ton of sense to me as far as how different deer work in different regions. And so I think we're all a culprit of watching the latest outdoor show on the Sportsman Channel or Pursuit Channel. We see them doing something. We're like, oh, that worked. So then we go out and we try it, but that's not necessarily the best case scenario for us here on the Great Lakes. So yeah, could you talk a little bit about that, what we were talking about last night? Yeah, you know, the the thing is with, with calling deer, you know, the idea behind calling deer is to challenge deer for basically during the rut, you know, you're challenging a buck because you're another deer that's trying to breed does. And, you know, I think, some areas I have some friends that have some success with rattling, particularly where I hunt. I have never had success in Michigan, you know, really rattling based on the fact that everything is so overpopulated with those bucks don't have to really work hard during the rut. Um, you know, they're pretty much hanging out your bigger bucks are hanging out in the bedding areas and, and breeding does at will. Um, some of the areas that, you know, guys have a little better grip on the doe to buck ratio um, where the bucks have to get out and cruise more. Um, some of those techniques have a, you know, higher probability of working, you know, whereas you get like into the Midwest, Iowa, Missouri, Kansas, uh, Ohio, um, you tickle rattling horns together, you're drawing attention, you know, but you're hunting deer that, you know, the layout is so different. You know, here in Michigan, um, outside of some, you know, big farms, a lot of us are hunting small tracts of land and, you know, 30, 40, even 80 acres. Whereas, you know, in the Midwest, there might be a 200 acre woodlot that you're hunting. 
Um, you know, it's all hardwoods, ridges and, and, you know, cutaways and they're just, you know, the deer have a tendency, they still have their travel corridors, they still have their bedding, they still have their feed, but they're not going to a soybean field that's, you know, in the five acres next to the 10 acres of woods that they're, you know, bedding in or the swale that they're bedding in They're they're traveling and, and the does are the same way, you know, so it's just, it's interesting to see. And it, and it took me a few years to get adjusted to that type of, you know, travel to where you're actually hunting particular deer versus, you know, here in Michigan, you hunt, you got big deer on your farm. Those are the deer you're hunting. You're trying to pattern them. Whereas, you know, you're trying to lure more deer into your area, you know, when you're hunting in those other areas. Yeah. I would say that that's probably a general rule for most Great Lakes areas. I mean, Illinois, when you get into Southern Illinois, that's a different animal because that'd be more Midwest like you're talking about. But you know, when we're thinking Great Lakes area, Illinois, you're going to find more of the smaller tracks like you're talking yeah. about. So if you could give our listeners a couple tips on how to be successful this upcoming season on the, in the Great Lakes region, what couple things do you find work best for you when you're hunting Michigan, the Great Lakes area, compared to midwest areas just know your property you know scouting is scouting is ultimately important and with all these trail cameras and stuff they've made it so easy on us i mean you don't even have to go check your camera anymore um you know i was i was anti-camera for a lot of years just based on the fact that i would go get everything set up and leave it alone um but i hunt family farms and I've been hunting those areas for years and despite all the change around it the deer really haven't changed that much so you know I would say scouting getting to know you know the ins and outs of your property is is number one and then you know early bow season you know catch those big deer on a feeding pattern yeah. you know get them get it set up somewhere between the bed you know and the food and work from there but you know i think probably if i was to say the biggest adjustment that i've made over the past several years is access in and out um you know instead of instead of taking the path of least resistance you know sometimes if the wind's not right i just choose to not hunt you know so um you know when you're trying to kill mature deer they're smarter than we are in their, in their element. Um, so, you know, you can't afford to blow a big deer out of the bedroom because you go in there with the wrong wind. Right. Oh yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, other than bow hunting, you shot competition archery for a while. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I, I played around with it when I was in the late nineties, early two thousands. It was a lot of fun and it, it just gives you the opportunity, you know, to shoot and, and just be more successful as a hunter based on the fact that you can execute the shot. Right. Um, but I still don't, I still to this day do not shoot a deer over 30 yards with a bow and arrow just 
based on the fact that I feel the probability is that much higher. I know a lot of guys range out there and it's just like with anything else, you know, they see people on TV shooting deer at 50, 60, 70 yards and with a bow and arrow. And those guys are professionals. You know, they shoot three, 4,000 arrows a month. You know, that's what they do. And, uh, and they're excellent shots and, you know, they're, it's not a controlled environment. They're fair chase, but they are, they're a whole different level. You know, they're not Joe worker that gets out of work and shoots a couple arrows at night and, you know, goes out and hunts. Yeah. Like again, it goes back to the point I just mentioned a few minutes ago. I think we fall into the trap of watching these hunting shows on TV seeing what they're doing and then trying to do the same things ourselves. And it just really isn't comparable. Yeah. Well, you know, the big thing is, is, is those guys work under a lot of stress too. You know, um, a lot of things that we don't consider is the fact that, you know, when that big buck comes in, you know, right at dark, and we have the opportunity as the average hunter to take that deer. Those guys can't shoot because they don't have the camera light. You know, camera light is 15 minutes sometimes ahead of actual shooting hours. And, you know, they climb down almost in the daylight, it would seem like, you know, so they, their chances, you know, are decreased there. But, you know, I, I just feel like, again, those guys are, they do it for a living and, and they're great. I, I've had the pleasure of meeting several, um, you know, well-known professional hunters over the time and, and they're great guys, just like us. They're passionate about what they do and, and, you know, they're not given opportunities. They go out and earn opportunities to, you know, make it happen. So. And you're talking from experience as well, cause you've been filmed on some of your hunts. And, yeah. Yeah. So, so you, yeah. you're not just, that's not your opinion. You are talking from that experience. And right. I never yeah, really absolutely. looked at it that way as far as them having to, you know, climb down earlier or can only take shots when the light's pretty perfect. So they get it on video. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't very good at, at uh, the whole filming thing, to be honest <laughs> with you, because that's where that inner 14 year old comes out in me and you know, I have a good bucket, you know, 20 yards and, and the cameraman can't get him in the, in the, in the, on the film, there's a really good chance. We're just going to talk about him after it's over. Cause I, uh, I tend to be a hunter before a production guy. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I didn't think about it that way. Do you miss mm -hmm. the traveling in the competition aspect of it? I do. I, I miss the, I miss the guys, you know, it was fun on the weekends to go, you know, shoot a 3d course or to go to the indoor shoots. And, and, uh, you know, we traveled to Canada, we shot the Canadian indoor nationals for a few years. And, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. We had, we had great times and, and you meet a lot of cool people. You meet a lot of good archers. Um, yeah. you know, there, there's guys that they don't miss period, but right. Yeah, I'm still getting over the shakes. I shake. I got to figure <laughs> that out. But Just I'm let natural, it shake. I'm a natural, you know, I'm not a steady hand person by nature. So that yeah. whole thing is uh, taking some getting used to. So 
But moving on, um, you, my friend, are traveling a lot right now because you have a daughter who is uh, in competitive basketball, looking, getting some looks at the college level. Um, what has the transition been like for you? Or maybe I should say, how do you find the balance between keeping your passion going for hunting and the outdoors while also you're traveling all the time for your kids and their athletics and things of that nature? Well, it's like anything. I mean, you know, you have to sacrifice where you can sacrifice. You know, I have to hold down a job to um, provide for the family. And, and, you know, the kids, time is limited with these kids. You know, I don't have, I've got the rest of my life to, you know, to hunt and to do the things that I want to do when they, you know, are adults and have lives of their own. But you know, my biggest thing right now is I find that I spend more time sharing my passion for the outdoors with my wife and my kids now. Um, you know, it's very seldom that I hunt alone anymore. Um, yeah. it, it's just fun. I see I had great success. Uh, both my daughters and my wife shot nice bucks last year. And I was with them for all three of them. All three of them, I was in the blind with them. And it was awesome. You know, I didn't shoot a buck. Um, you get as excited for them as you do shooting it yourself. I think so. Um, you know, it, there's, there's no better feeling than knowing that you beat a good quality, mature animal at their own game. Um, but when you can share that with somebody with less experience, you know, especially like my wife or my kids, um, it was awesome. My wife shot a, you know, a really nice buck uh, last year during the firearm season. And, uh, you know, it was just to see her excited. It was her first buck of her life. And her excitement was just overwhelming to me, you know, and, and we just, it, it was great. I can't even describe, you know, I couldn't have been happier if I had a shot at myself. I can tell you that. Yeah, that's great. All right, two more questions before we dive into uh, another topic. Uh, the first question is, we were talking about this last night as well, the youth, the numbers in youth participating in the outdoors is declining. Um, how do we change that? Like, how do we, what can we do to get them more excited to be outside and outdoors and things like that? I, you know, that's, that's the burning question. I, I would say, you know, hide their Xboxes all fall. Um, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's not going to create that. I think it's more of a, you know, tradition that, uh, the state's done everything in their power to try to get youth involved, you know, with allowing kids to go out with a firearm of choice, you know, prior to the bow season. Um, I can't imagine that you know, as a kid growing up, the ability to go out, you know, during strong feeding patterns and, and try to shoot deer with a gun, that would have been like, almost like shooting fish in a barrel. But um, it was, and, you know, I don't know. I don't know what will change. Um, I think there's just so many more options for kids today than we had when we were kids. You know, my option was go outside. 
and play. And, you know, we didn't have all this travel basketball. We didn't have, you know, we would have all-star tournaments for baseball on, you know, a couple weekends a month or a summer, you know, and, but outside of that, you know, you played for your little league team and you played with your friends during the day and, you know, come fall, we hunted. That's what we did. Yeah. It's just their attention is being drawn into so many different areas. It's, Mm -hmm. but I do agree, you know, it's, I think with the youth hunts that usually kick off seasons helps, but there's gotta be something, you know, an incentive. And a lot of it is parents, right? Kids will do or try things their parents do or enjoy. Um, I don't know. That is a tough question. I think, I think a lot of it has to do with the immediate success. Like kids today want immediate success. Um, the thing that I've done with my kids, especially, is I have allowed them to join in the, the uh, I call it the December tradition, you know, where we go out and we try to, you know, manage our doe herd and allow the girls to, you know, harvest does. It, it just, it gives them that gratification of, of being successful. And, you know, they know me, there's, there's not a lot I'd rather do than go shoot does. I'm being honest. It's uh that's a passion of mine. And, you know, we, we do a good job of, of keeping our numbers, you know, our numbers are high, but they could be a lot higher if we weren't out there, you know, actively pursuing, you know, the does. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. The last question on bow hunting and archery is, you have been an avid bow hunter. You've shot competition archery and traveled all over. Where's bow hunting going? Where do you see it going? Well, I think it's, you know, the transition, a lot of guys are transitioning to crossbows. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of the youth, um, I remember, you know, as a kid myself trying to draw enough poundage to, you know, successfully shoot a deer and, and our kids don't have to deal with that today. So I think, you know, and a lot of the guys that used to just firearm hunt, they're, they're going to crossbows now because I mean, it's obvious early in the season, you're going to see more deer, you're going to see more bucks, especially. So I don't know. I think that, uh, I think bow hunting in general is never going to go away. I think if anything, bow hunters, there's more bow hunters today than there ever has been. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the new crossbow laws. And, and I say new, they've been around for several years now, but. Right. Were you happy to see those laws come in? Not really. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's, you know, for the older, um, bow hunter that's been you know bow hunting their whole lives and and they can't do it physically anymore or the handicap you know crossbows have been around for you know handicap hunters for years and years and i think that's a phenomenal opportunity for them yeah um but i feel if you're you know able-bodied you know and you want to bow hunt then grab a stick and a string and go hunt yeah yeah real quick what do you see as far as the innovation and technology of of the bows where, where's that headed 
I don't know how much higher it could go. Um, you know, they, they've got ungodly, you know, speed out of these bows now. Um, they've developed, they've designed cams that, you know, don't go out of time. They've designed, you know, you've got, you know, Matthews revolutionized the one cam back, you know, in the late nineties and, you know, all the bows went to one cams for a while because they weren't, wouldn't go out of time. And, and then, you know, the guys that, you know, I've always shot a two cam bow, but they, uh, I think technology wise, they're going to continue to take the vibration out of the bows. They're going to continue to um, try to soften the shot, if you will, increase the speed. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, a lot of guys are getting priced out of these new bows. So, yeah, we talked about that last night as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because me being a beginner bow hunter just started this year, I walked into the shops and said, you know, I let them know I was a beginner. I wanted to get into the sport and they start showing me bows and before just the bare bones bow, the majority of them I looked at were a thousand dollars plus. Right. You know, and I had to tell the guys like, I don't know if I'm any good at this. I don't even know, you know, if this right. is something I would be able to do. So I'd like to spend a little less. And so we did find, you know, I feel like I got a great bow and a great value in the bow tech that I'm shooting right now. Um, but that's a great point. It's like the price just keeps going up before you even put anything on that bow. Right. Yeah. You can easily be $2,000 into a bow today without even blinking. Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. Because mm -hmm. even the accessories that, you know, the, the arrow rest, the sights, they keep coming out with new innovations there and those prices just keep going up and up and up. Yeah. So. They've got, they sell quivers now that are more than the old Hoyts I used to buy. <laughs> All right. So I'll ask you that since you said Hoyt, is that uh, the brand that you are shooting? Are you a Hoyt man? I am. I am. I've been a Hoyt guy since, I don't know, 98, I think is when I bought my first Hoyt. And did you shoot Hoyt in your competition? I did, Days? yeah. And so is that kind of why you'll always be a Hoyt because you've just been with them for so long or? Yeah, I, you know, it started off when I I was shooting competitively. I had the, the privilege of being on their co-op program mm -hmm. and I would get a bow every year um, at 50% off dealer cost, so you know, I was, I was picking bows up for, you know, 300 bucks and, uh, you know, I'd shoot them for a year and, and, uh, either keep them if I loved them or, you know, get rid of them. And, uh, but it's just, Hoyt's always been for me, a bow that no matter what, they haven't sacrificed a lot of the things that are important to me axle to axle length, you know, at six foot four, I can't imagine shooting a bow that's 29, 30 inches long axle to axle. You know, I like a 35 inch bow. Um, my old Hoyts are, you know, 40 inches, my indoor bows, you know, 44 inches axle to axle. So it's just, it's a comfort for me and I enjoy them and they've got sweet gear. Let's be honest. Yeah. Would you say that this is a fair statement? All 
bows on the market are good bows, though, the way they're made nowadays? I would say all your top manufacturers, um, no questions. I mean, they're all good bows. And that's why, you know, when I was younger and, you know, you talk a lot of smack with your buddies and, yeah. um, you know, my bow is better than your bow. And, you know, but at the end of the day, it's what you're comfortable with. And, you know, if you're comfortable with your bow tech and you shoot it well, what, what does that matter to me? It shouldn't. Yeah. You know. Yep. Okay. Well, great. I'm looking at the time and um, I had a few more questions for you, but we're kind of, kind of getting scrunched here. I will ask you just quickly, you know, since we are highlighting everything uh, great in the Great Lakes backcountry, when you're not in the woods, uh, what are some areas on the, in the Great Lakes that you guys like to go visit and what are some of the things you guys do for fun? We like to camp. I mean, we like to camp um, and, you know, the wife and kids love the beach. So get over to the Grand Haven area and South, you know, South Haven, um, Douglas, all that over in there. It's a beautiful area. And uh, I occasionally like to do a little fishing in the pond. Yeah. Little, oh, I got to get you out salmon fishing. Um, what, uh, give us a campground, a, a little sneaker campground that people may not have heard of, but you love. I, I don't have any sneaker campgrounds, really. Um, I'm a KOA guy. Okay. I, I enjoy the KOAs for the amenities and the hookups, you know, I'm, I'm like, it's like camping at the holiday inn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, I'm not a, I'm not a throw a tent and somebody's, you know, in the backwoods and in, in uh, camp, not with a wife and two daughters. Just I went uh, and stayed at this campground. I can't remember the name of it, but it's right by uh, the casino gun. Lake. is it gun Lake casino? there off of 131 yeah. yeah you know it was beautiful yeah absolutely it, and I, it was it was beautiful so there's a there's so many hidden gems in in michigan i mean there's just there's beautiful places everywhere you go and i mean we're surrounded by water so right you know if you like the water which if you don't like water you must be off your rocker but yeah you shouldn't be around the great lakes so well, Jason, I, uh, I appreciate your time today and your insight. Um, we'll be talking soon. I'm going to come raid your basement and all these Hoyt bowls you have down there. See if I can find something for me. There you go. Yeah. When's the last time you bought a new bow? Uh, four years ago, I think. So I'll be looking at like five-year-old bows. I don't know. I bought one three years ago. I didn't like, so that's oh. still there. Maybe that's something. All right, we'll get together. I appreciate it, Jay. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. And uh, we'll probably have you on here in the future when we get closer to whitetail season, if that's all right with you. Sounds fun. All right. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Mike. It's always great to catch up with Jason. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to hunting all over the Great Lakes and the Midwest. He travels a lot. And so, when we get closer to the fall, we will have him back on probably to talk a little whitetail action around the Great Lakes region. But moving on, it is chill time. We did not do this segment in the first podcast because people thought we should change the name, call it something different. So while we explore a different name for this section, 
For now it's chill time, and we are going to bring you a destination on the Great Lakes. This week is the city of Milwaukee, and as Milwaukee is not a hidden gem, we feel it is a very underrated, undervalued city on the Great Lakes. Why Milwaukee for us? Well, first off, if you're fortunate enough to have a boat, the marinas in Milwaukee are wonderful. So get on your boat, get over to the marinas in Milwaukee. There's a ton of activities to do in walking distance from the marinas. You will not be disappointed. Secondly, we all love breweries. You have to check out Lakefront Brewery. And for those that love to explore different breweries around the Great Lakes, Milwaukee has an abundance of breweries from you to, for you to choose from. So go check those out. Milwaukee has great museums, including the Harley-Davidson Museum, has other great art museums, a great zoo. So if you're with the kids, you can go check those out. Milwaukee is known for not only its cheese, but its frozen custard shops. And Milwaukee has a ton of frozen custard shops. So you can take a day. If you're with the kids, they'll love you for it. But you can go and test taste the multiple options that you f till you find your favorite frozen custard. You can get out of the city and head to Holy Hill. It's got beautiful scenery. And in the fall, it's some of the most breathtaking fall colors that you will find. So that is a great option depending on the time of year you choose to go visit our choice this week, the city of Milwaukee. You and the family or you and your significant other can rent a kayak and go explore Milwaukee in a different way. That's always fun. And lastly, don't forget if you're in Milwaukee, take a stroll on the Riverwalk. You'll find many restaurants and bars along the way so you can stop and relax anytime. And if I did not mention cheese, because Wisconsin is known for their cheese, you can go and find many options and explore the different tastes of cheese that Wisconsin and Milwaukee offer. So that's our pick this week, the city of Milwaukee. When our website gets up, we'll have a list of all of these different places that you can go explore. But for now, the website is in progress, and so you're just going to have to take my word for it. Before we go, a couple things. We just want to thank our sponsors again real quick. West Shore Bank, McGee Insurance Group, Renegade Products USA, and Ludington Yacht Sales. We would not be able to do what we're doing as far as the videos and the podcast without them, so a big thanks to them. Want to share with you our social media again because we have Great Lakes Backcountry merchandise that we will be giving away. So stay tuned on how to get entered to win that. But check us out on our YouTube page, Great Lakes Backcountry, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Great Lakes Backcountry and stay tuned for those giveaways. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, leave a rating. We appreciate it. And, you, and again, if you have any re recommendations or suggestions, just email us at greatlakesbackcountry at gmail.com. Again, greatlakesbackcountry at gmail.com. That's it for today. Stay safe, everybody. Get out, enjoy the Great Lakes, and we'll see you next week.